and welcome back to Dads on the Air, coming to you around Australia on the Community Radio Network. In this program, we bring you informing and entertaining conversations with a wide range of interesting people on topics of fatherhood, family and parenting, and men's and boys' issues. Hi, I'm Bill Cable, and today we're speaking with a celebrity. We're speaking with Jimmy Barnes, and Jimmy's going to be talking to us about his new book called Working Class Boy. So, Jimmy, welcome to the program. First of all, congratulations, a wonderful read, and normally with you, we would say a wonderful listen. Well, it's a new field for me. I mean, um, you know, we've always sort of been telling stories, you know. I mean, that's what you do as a singer. And normally the stories we tell are pretty close to the heart and fairly intense, but this stuff is a different sort of kettle of fish again. It's, um, you know, whereas in the process of songwriting, what you try and do is take a situation, a whole story, and refine it and boil it down until you've got it in one line, which is, you know, normally the key of a first line of a chorus. Whereas this, you know, you have to, this is where, you, you know, we're telling a story with all the, the gory details, I guess, and, and, and the more details you can put in, the better. And the other thing, of course, is the, is the subject matter. These are sort of the things that most of the subjects in this stuff are the, but the things that I, that I didn't write songs about. These are the things that probably influenced the songs, certainly influenced the way I was as a human being. You know, this is sort of the really the back, back, back story behind the music because um, obviously the way you're brought up affects everything you do and, uh, and these are my darkest secrets. <laughs> Jimmy, I expect that you've had loads of people egging you on to write a, a book and that's been going on for years. Is that right? Well, first off, you know, people wanted me to write books, you know, but everybody wants me to write books about rock and roll stories, you know, raping, pillaging, you know, touring, going out on the road and, you know, all that sort of stuff, wild, wild nights, sex, drugs and rock and roll. And, you know, they're, they're fun. I've, you know, I've read a couple of great books like that. And, you know, and part of what I've been writing, especially for the second book, will be more of that. I started, one, you know, trying to write this stuff down. It was more for my own benefit. It was a bit of therapy, really. This is a, this is a lot of really dark stuff, a lot of stuff that, that sort of shaped who I am as a human being for the good and, and bad. I remember I started writing some stuff down, you know, in, in the mid 90s, early 90s, and I got, I must have got 30,000 words, 40,000 words in. When we moved to France, it was actually, I moved to France and I remember getting to France and being miles away from my rock and roll career, miles away from my past, miles away from Elizabeth, miles away from my, you know, my uh, brothers and sisters. All everything in my past sort of was, seemed a long way away. So I just sort of lost the vibe and stopped writing. So I, you know, I literally, I literally put the computer on the shelf. We were living in the south of France, and there's a festival down in the south of France called the Camargue which is a very famous gypsy festival where gypsies from all over um, Europe sort of funnel down through the south of France to this horse festival. Unfortunately, apparently, it's quite common. There's a, there's a lot of petty crime when they come through towns. I woke up in the middle of the night one night and could hear shuffling and sort of went downstairs and there was all my TVs and computers with the leads rolled up, stacked outside the door to be stolen. These people had already been through my room while we were asleep. They'd been through my kids' rooms while they were asleep and they'd taken all the laptops. Being the uh, Luddite I was and, and I am. I hadn't backed up. So uh, basically, that was the end of that book. Off for the gypsies. So what was the spark that got you writing? It was a couple of years ago. It was a friend of ours who, um, Andrea, I don't think she knew what she was opening up, but uh, she suggested it. And I sort of went, oh, yeah, I'll think about it. And I started sort of putting some notes down. It was the weirdest thing. I was, I was actually on tour. 
And, you know, when you're on tour in hotels, you, all the hotels have the same movie channels. So you tend to like there's a series of, you know, new movies out. So I've watched, uh, you know, I've watched all of these movies except one. And uh, the last one was, was a movie called Snowtown. And Snowtown is, is quite close to my heart because it's uh, about a, some serial killers in Adelaide who bodies in a barrel. And that was out near Elizabeth. And anyway, I was, you know, I didn't want to watch that in a hotel room at night by myself. You know, you, you end up getting no sleep. But the first 20 minutes of that movie reminded me of where I grew up. It looked like Elizabeth. It looked like my street. It looked like my house. They looked like the people who were running around, you know, Hatesbury Road where I grew up in Elizabeth West. I only watched 15, 20 minutes of it and then turned it off because just suddenly all these memories started flooding back. And I literally sat down and started writing uh, that night and really didn't lift my head or, or really didn't sort of listen to anybody else or listen to anything for until I had about 100,000 words. So it just poured out of me. This movie triggered the, the sort of uh, the emotion. I had, this, I had this feeling that if I looked at it too much, I'd take too much stuff out so i want it to be real i want it to be as a as i remembered it and the thing i've stressed at the start of the book is that a lot of the stuff is my memories and some of those memories are, are as a four-year-old some of them are as a 17-year-old you tend to sort of block things that you don't that aren't pleasant to remember and i've spoke to my brothers and sisters actually about some incidents and there's a few incidents where we were all in the same room and we all seen the same thing and we've all seen it slightly different you know so depending on your on your age and maturity you've noticed different things in situations so so these this is literally my recollections away as close as i can remember i mean i didn't i didn't pull any punches i didn't put any filters on so uh, the last 12 months i've sort of been going back and forth adding new pieces to that because other memories come back to me and also just refining how I tell the story. And it's also difficult when you're writing about things that, that affect other people. You know, as I try to bring it back to me most of the time so that the person that's, you know, responsible or the person that's the center of the story is me so that I, I don't have to, you know, I don't want to write my brother's story because that's his job to do. You know, I didn't want to write. I didn't want, like I said, I didn't want to just write, you know, stories for the sake of it. These were stories that are important to me. What is clear in this book is that you were a bright spark as a kid. So we can make it very apparent here that this is authored by you. There is no ghostwriter. This is the work of one Jimmy Barnes. I couldn't tell the story through anybody else. I had to sit and write this one myself because this is this is stuff that I haven't told anybody. I haven't spoke to my siblings about the stuff that's in this book. There's stuff that happened to all of us that, you know, we just saw all of us never spoke about again. There's stuff that happened. It's re it really quite dark. I mean, Early in our relationship, Jane used to ask me about my childhood and say, what was your childhood like? And I said, oh, just normal, you know. And I really, I honestly thought it was just normal. But, you know, it's once I, once we started putting a family together and seeing families, I realized how abnormal my family was. Then I started thinking this is really wrong. That's why I started looking back and remembering stuff. But the, the saddest part, when I got to the end of the book... I look back and I, and I still think it's pretty normal. And that's a really sad thing. I think there's, as bad as my childhood was, there's a lot of kids and a lot of people who went through the same thing and a lot of people still going through it now. Uh, and that's, that's why the book's important to me. Okay, Jimmy, you've brought up trauma and that's a big part of the book. Now that you look back and you think about your own childhood, what was so abnormal about it? Well, you know, there was just a lot of booze, a lot of violence, um, a lot of abuse, you know, physical, sexual, mental, bad role models, no parenting skills, no no lessons taught in life. You know, we were hungry. We were moved around the place. I don't know what we were running from. We were, you know, running all over the, the world, really running away from fear and running away from shame. And, you know, I look back now and I can see my family and my parents, and, you know, us, my, my siblings were ashamed 
all the time. And even when we didn't know what we were ashamed of, it, was just, it became a natural uh, emotion for us to feel. And we're going to take a short break now with one of the most popular songs on the Cold Chisel catalogue. This is Flame Trees, sung by Jimmy Barnes.
And we're speaking today with Jimmy Barnes, author of his new book, Working Class Boy. And we've been listening to Flame Trees, a great hit of Cold Chisel, of which, uh, of course, Jimmy Barnes was a leading member and the singer. So how do you imagine that your book, Working Class Boy, will connect with its readers? Running it past my family, who I've, I've tried everything in my, you know, everything I can do to protect my family from going through the things or even seeing the things that I've been through. I let my kids read it and my in-laws and you know, uh, family read it here, and they all just break down and cry. They don't know, they don't know how to take it. I've spoke to a lot of people who come from more middle-class, uh, you know, better families, people who've had a few chances and whose parents cared for them, and they just can't believe that people would be subjected to that kids would be subjected to that so people a lot of it they come in there and they got shock horror you know but there's also there's people out there my cousins from glasgow and and stuff like that they've read it and they're going oh yeah i know that i remember that i remember this you know this happened to me you know but there's a lot of kids out there who can't go to school because they're hungry there are a lot of kids who i used to i used to be ashamed because I, you know we'd have to go to school and we'd have big holes in our shoes with cardboard in them and you know we'd have clothes from the salvation army and you know they were old and itchy and, and my house was the house where we lived was falling apart and we didn't have any food and so I could I never took people back I was always ashamed shame is a thing that that's um it's as bad as violence you know it's really as scarring as violence and it's something that I mean I've you know done well for myself and I've been doing well for a long long time I've been in music business for 45 years but I still have the same shame I still have the shame I I hate to have if I go out and I don't have money in my pocket I can't borrow any money from me I couldn't ask anybody for anything I I have to you know make it myself I'm continually afraid and ashamed and and trying to put up a front to protect people from, so they don't see who I am I'm afraid people are going to judge me and say and see who I really am and, and not like me you know and that comes from deep in you know ingrained fear and shame that comes from you know, when you're a child I was born like that I don't I don't even know what I did to to warrant it so when you talk about shame, where does pride fit into the mix? I was an overachiever. Because I was ashamed, because I was afraid, because I did, we had nothing at home, I would go out and I'd be the captain of the football team. I'd be the top of my, my year at school. I'd be the, the teacher's pet. You know, they all loved me because I was smart, you know. You know, I could fight better than most people, you know. So I was like, I'd beat up the school bullies and stuff like that. So my whole life... I, all I wanted to do was make, make people like me, which, as you can imagine, is the perfect formula to make a rock and roll singer. <laughs> so all the things that went wrong for me in my childhood were like the perfect breeding ground for, for a rock and roll singer. You know, I would get out there, I'd go, look at me, look at me, look at me. You know, and, I, and I'd be, you know, and I'd just be the clown. I'd be, I'd try and drink more. I'd show off. I'd want, want everybody to like me. And, uh, and they did. <laughs> and that encouraged me. So I just got worse, you know? So really, as I'm out there and going, okay, if I behave like this, people like me, I'm thinking, okay, that's what I've got to do. So I just kept doing it. You know, I get out and, and with coaches and sort of, drink so much that everybody else around me would fall over and I'd still be going and then they all go, oh, isn't he great? You know, so I'd do it again the next night, you know, and, I, and that just became a pattern for me. That's what I did. I act like a lunatic and, and people liked it. It seems to be the prerequisite for a rock and roll band, you know. The book is a wonderful insight into working class family life. What aspects of that will resonate with your readers? My music has sort of you know, resonated with a lot of Australians, but there's a certain culture, that working class culture out there that really do uh, relate to what I do and, and lyrically and musically. And I used to say that, you know, uh, 
my job was to make you know people who work hard for a living forget their troubles for an hour and think it's Saturday night. You know that's my job. Uh, those so those people when they when they see me, I'm one of them. I'm someone who's come from hard stock, someone who works hard, and someone who you know who played hard. And I'm up there, and they see me being successful. So I think they've always enjoyed that. I think if they see me sorting through problems, which are stuff that are really tough stuff that people don't talk about. I mean, the, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in this book guys don't talk about. You know, who wants to be a pussy? Who wants to be domestic violence? Who wants to be you know abused? Who wants to be you know weak? Who wants to be vulnerable? These are things that guys don't speak about. And uh, and I'm, I'm as tough as anybody. But if I can talk about it, then they can. You know, I mean, I, I'm I'm one of those guys who I was so guarded for so long anybody called me you know like said i was worried or, or afraid i would have belted them you know and I'm, I'm not like that anymore if i can sit and talk about these things we can start a dialogue at least if i can trigger that in a few people then it's going to be worth it so jimmy i've got to ask you why did you write the book I wrote this book for myself, and when I finished it, I sat down and I thought, right, I don't even have to release it. You know, I've written it down. I've got these. I've exercised the demons. You know? I sort of compare it to like having a weeping sore. You know, if you open up to the air, it heals. You know, if you keep it covered and damp and hidden in the dark, it's not going to get anywhere. So I did that for myself. And when I finished it, I thought, right, I feel good. I don't have to release it. And then I looked at it again and I thought, you know what? There are those people out there who are just like me. There's a lot of them out there just like me, some of them worse, some of them not so bad, but you know, they're like me, and we all need to get through this. This is dialogue that has to be had. Well, despite the constant presence of violence and uncertainty in this book, mostly you remained a good, sweet-natured boy. The question is, how was that possible? There's things that look out for you. You know, I mean, I used to, I'd get up in the morning and tiptoe out of the house and, you know, steal two bob or something and tipped her out of the house and catch a train to Glenelg Beach and sit there on the, on the jetty and, and look out to sea and just contemplate life and be away from the fear and the hunger and or just be away from it by myself. So I managed to escape. There was people who came along in my life who, friends of my parents, who just sort of like just for some reason kept an eye out for me. And nine, 10 years old, you know, I was probably at our worst when after my mum had left and suddenly my mum came back married to a fellow called Reg Barnes. I took Reg's name, obviously. And Reg was this guy who was, you know, devout, you know, bachelor. He was, you know, he was never going to get married. He was a, a good Australian bloke, and he didn't, he didn't know my mum that well. And she told her story that we were going to be taken by corrective services, by by docs or whatever. You know, we we're going to be taken away wards of the state. And he just said, well, what can we do? And she said, I've got to get married. I've got to find a home for my kids. She said, well, I'll marry you. And and this guy just came out of the blue, sacrificed himself to marry us to help my mum save us a lot of that is because reg was such a, a saint and he just wanted to help i mean he, he was one of these guys who even i was in a band and he go oh you got to get a real job he made me he made me start an apprenticeship you know rather he said oh you can't just be in a rock and roll band you've got to have something to fall back on he always just you know that's a real classic thing to say jimmy when people read this book i'm sure there are going to be surprises particularly for those who know you well what do you think broadly working class boy is going to say about you Ah, uh, that I'm that I'm human. That I'm. Um, I think a lot of people will, will, you know, who think they know me will get a bit of a shock. You know, people don't spend the time to get to know people. My, my wife was with me for, we've been together for 37 years, and until I wrote this book, there was stuff she didn't know. Don't take anybody for granted. I think you have to really sort of be supportive and look into it and and be inquisitive. And certainly, you know, and this means neighbours, family, friends. 
don't allow this sort of pain and this suffering to happen around you without, you know, because people are a great way of covering up. Kids don't want their parents to be in trouble. Parents don't want to be ashamed of not being able to feed their kids. They keep this stuff to themselves. They keep it hidden. One person a week is dying from domestic violence, whether it's a child, a wife or a husband. One person a week is dying as a result of domestic conflict. Uh, if that was terrorism, we'd have armed guards on every corner. It's not on. It's really these problems have are social issues. If we want to live in a decent society, we can't just keep putting them off. You know, the governments just don't tackle them. Labour government, Liberal government, I don't care who they are, they don't do it. So is there a nugget, a distilled answer that is going to zero in on what you learnt from writing about your own boyhood story? Nothing in life changes unless you look at it face to face, you know, nothing you can push stuff away and you can bury it really deep, but eventually it's always going to surface. Uh, if there's a problem that you have, if there's something, if there's an issues, if there's something that's tearing you apart, the only way to, the only way to tackle it is head on. And the mad, and I did a really, really good job of pushing stuff away. Uh, if anybody had buried it enough, it was me because I'm, you know, I just got so mindless I couldn't remember anything, but eventually things always surface. Nothing, nothing comes for nothing. You've got to deal with stuff face to face. Otherwise, you know, it'll come back and bite you when you least expect it. Well, it is a beautiful read, but it was always going to be uncomfortable. Absolutely, absolutely. And my family, all, they, I walk down the, you know, in, the, in the lounge there and people, members of the family come and go, oh, give me cuddles. I'm going, just back off. <laughs> Not that bad. I've survived. You know? But uh, it was an uncomfortable right, uncomfortable read. And it's led me to, this is sort of the tip of the iceberg, because all the stuff that I've lived in this life and that part of my life up until 17, from 17 through to now, all those things affected every decision I've made. As a child, there's there's a certain get out of jail, you know, like you're not responsible for all this stuff, even though it's affecting. As an adult, although I'm affected by that trauma and by all that upbringing, I made choices too. And now the next book I'm writing, I want to write with the same honesty and, and, and look at the same, the impacts that this life had on what I've done now. And that's going to, that's really much harder because it's also, you know, these are my own mistakes. And to look at people sitting right there down, I've, I've made the same mistakes and done, you know, horrible things. It's just, it's really difficult, but that's what you're going to do. Jimmy, what do you see as the similarities and the differences between writing a book and writing a song, for instance? Really, you're trying to tell a story. And more than a story, you're trying to get an emotion across. You're trying to show a window of your soul. I think the great songs really are windows into somebody's soul. And that's the similarity. It's you're, you're really trying to get someone to have a sense of love, a sense of fear, a sense of urgency, whatever you're trying to get into your song. That's, that's what you try and do when you write. The difference is, you know, where... Songwriting is a lot about tension and release. You build up, you build up, you build up, and then bang, it opens up with a chorus, and the, the listener gets a sense of, oh, that's great. Suddenly you know, like you're elated because the tension of a song is built up. Every song I do is, is about tension and release, really. In writing a story, you do the same thing, you, only it's long form. You know, you, you spend it, you have, a lot of, you have to pay a lot of detail. You can build um, tension, you can build the integrity of a story, you can build the intensity of a story in increments, Whereas in songs you do it in, in a line. But at the end of a story, or at the end of a, of a part of a story, you, you have to release it. Otherwise, people just put it down and they can't read anymore. But there has to be some sort of release. So the, I think this attention release is a thing that's very important in both. I think songwriting, they're both real different art forms. But I think songwriting, you, the, the, the art form is to be able to sum up a chapter of a book 
in one line. If you can do that, then you're, you can paint a picture. It's like painting a picture. You can do that. But I thought, well, I can do that. I can write a story. But that was a totally different discipline. I had to sit down. I had to spend the time. You know, I sort of think this the same. They're, they're all the same. I think making making a film be the same. I think making a, a radio show would be the same. I think making a painting, a book, a poem. You know, I think they'd be really similar art forms. You're trying to connect with someone emotionally, but you have to give them a release at the same time. Otherwise, it's just too, too confronting. Jimmy, you've said a number of times that being up there at book signings is really quite raw. How are you going to handle that awkwardness? whenever you're out there promoting the book? I've done a couple of conferences, and, and when I start speaking, and, and there seems to be similar points every time, about, and particularly about like when my mum left and stuff, where I just my voice just goes, and I, and I have to just stop and take a breath, you know? I'm just going to have to pace myself and take a breath, you know? There'll be times that are uncomfortable. I'm one of these people. I'm not afraid to you know, show emotions. If, you know, I'm not afraid to cry. Over the years, I've, uh, whenever I've sort of got close to that, I would I would lash out and get aggressive. You know, I think people they better be prepared to see me be less confrontational and more honest. If people corner me for the wrong reasons, I will lash out. <laughs> I do, you know. This is an an invitation to invite, invite people in into my world and into my into my soul. I want to share this stuff with people because I want it to change. I want it to change to change me, and if I can change me, the ripple effect will start changing other people. And on that note, we'll have to end our special discussion with Jimmy Barnes. We'd like to thank him for being on the program. But just before going, we really should pay a little bit from the song that's almost an anthem in Australia. This is Kaysan by Cold Chisel. That was from Kaysan by Cold Chisel. And don't forget, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners. You can go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, and send us an email and we'll be in touch. And if you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our shows, go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. And we'll be back next week with another show on Dads on the Air.